0: I have the most impractical organization of how I would like to get paid for my time, which is not a lot of labor. <laughs> I, <mean. laughs>
1: I thought I wanted a career. It turns out I just wanted paychecks. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello! And Jason in DC. What's up? <laughs> Back to the original What's Up. I love that, Jason.
0: <laughs>
1: How, okay. How is everybody? Good. Great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That was <laughs> quite a contrast. We, should we retake that? <laughs> no, I <laughs> think you should keep that. How is
1: everybody? T- um, Trisha?
0: It's the time before a long layoff period. And so it's just, it feels like everything is a bit of a slug. <laughs> you know when you can see a break coming in the horizon and so therefore everything feels like it's taking longer. That's how I feel right now. Mm-hmm. No, I know and exactly you what you feel mean. Slightly scoochy, slightly squishy. You know, that's interesting.
2: I I actually, I'm enjoying, like I feel like things are slowing down and like I'm really
1: enjoying that. In the winter, like in in this weird interregnum between like one year and the next and holidays and holidays. And like, you know, I'm unsure of what time of day it is. I'm either full of chocolate or cheese at any given moment. For instance, this whole week, I can't tell you what I did. I didn't do much. Like I have stuff on my agenda. It like kind of didn't get done. And then like six days went by. Just doesn't feel like <laughs> that.
2: <laughs> I love the passive voice. It just didn't get done. And it just didn't get done. went by. No agency. No accountability. No responsibility. The,
1: the, but, like, late I... December, early January is just kind of like this moment where everyone's just kind of like, oh, cool, man. Like, you know. But
0: I can situate my annoyance, though. I have to tell you a little thing, which I was telling my sister about. And she's like, wow, you've had such problems with the medical profession. But I went to the dentist and long story short, apparently something was not done right with the root canal. So I ended up having to get like an emergency fixer up of a root canal, which is, which you know what? It sounds scary, but because the root canal involves cutting nerves, it actually, you don't feel any pain. So that's kind of weird. Anyway, so immediately after the root canal, I was told that I just needed to go to the dentist and get a quick filling. That's what I was told. So I was like, let me just take care of it. I go to the dentist and suddenly I'm being told that I'm expecting to go through a two-step process, right? And I was like, wait a minute, that's not what I was told. And now this two-steps process is now $400 as opposed to $80. So I said, okay, listen, can we just have a conversation about this? Because this isn't what I was told by the previous doctor. And then this dentist does this. He says, "Um, let me bring in the finance department so we can have this department. We can have this conversation. (laughs) And I was like, why does a finance person have to have this conversation with me? It's like, well, you know, the choices are, um, they involve different amounts. And I was like, let me just put it out of your head right now. I can afford to do whichever is necessary, but I feel like we should have a conversation about what's medically necessary before we talk about the financial component. You know,
1: whenever it comes to like medical procedures and money, the entire staff's like, oh, what? Those things are connected? I had no idea as they're just like charging, charging, charging. It's crazy to me how that's not the upfront in any other, I dare say, in any other retail situation, that's like the first thing that's discussed. But whenever it comes to your health in like these See, weird I, times. I,
0: I was a, I'm, a, I'm actually advocating for the reverse. Really? Was, yeah, because what he was doing is he was leading with the financial discussion. I'm not going to make a decision about my health based on finances. Like I have to find out if it's essential, like if it's important for my health, right? Well, is it important to my dental health?
2: I mean, I I don't know. I think I'm a little bit more with Chris here in that. I, mean, I think you always want to know what the trade offs are right, and so there are you know there are tests that are testing for something that's a remote possibility costs a lot of money, and you got to decide like is the trade off worth it to you you know and it's it's hard I think where i'm a little th- sympath- well, I'm sympathetic to what you're saying, Chris, is that to make the trade off without the financial component, you're just I want all the information right what are all the trade offs what's the money trade off what's the time trade off and what's the level of risk medically. And I think it's, I, I don't know, it's interesting what you're saying, Chris, to me, I, my experience is more like Trisha's. like, I, I don't feel like, unless I really ask, that I often get all that context that I want. I usually have to ask a lot of questions to get the amount of context that I want to make a decision. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I didn't get the context. And I, I, I just find the wrapping of those, of the blending of those two to be egregious. It's, you're you're essentially just a moneyed body then like well, that's not the question
1: well yeah but like you've grown up in this it'd be one thing if we were relying on nhs or something else where that wasn't a consideration but i've never it never in my life have i walked into a medical situation and not had to think about the money of it i mean i've had insurance but even when it comes to copays necessary medication medication that will just make me feel better versus medication that will do something like that's always a conversation I have to have, like, oh, this copays like fifty dollars, okay, what is this medication for? Can we have a conversation about that because I don't want to spend fifty dollars like that's always that's that's just part of it in in a different system where all the costs are invisible and taken care of i I can sympathize with what you're saying, and I can understand it, but I've never been in a situation where. That, where I didn't have to consider that. I'm going to the dentist tomorrow morning, as a matter of fact.
2: I'm going, and, I'm going in two days, look at yes. this. We're just taking care of
1: our teeth. Look at the three of
2: us. Outrageous um, crew, taking care of their teeth.
1: <laughs> and part of the conversation I have with them every time I go is they check the teeth and then if they find a hole or something, I have a discussion with them. I'm like, what does it look like and how much would it cost to fill it? Okay, great. Now, what does it look like if I come back six months from now and we check again? Does it make sense for me to wait? Should I pay the $1200 now? Or should I pay it or it, that's always part of the conversation though. You
0: having a conversation with a medical profession that is a conversation that you're having with that you could have like with accounts receivable. Nope. Like that's like weird. Accounts like, receivable, like,
1: no, because it, the so doctor weird. can say, yeah. the doctor can tell me, well, Chris, you know, that tiny hole in my experience, what I've seen is you can wait the six months and it may not get bigger. And so you won't have to have this procedure. Accounts receivable can just tell me how much things cost, but not what I might need.
0: I understand. But that's what I'm saying. Your doctor is, should, should be there making a medical decision with you. You then get to negotiate about the other options and the other things. Instead, yeah. what you're having is you're having like a conversation mediated by the money. Like, that's just weird to me.
2: Like, but it is part I, of it, Tricia. Like, it is well, a part it, of the
0: equation. So,
1: what does that conversation big, look like with it, the medical professional where you don't discuss how you, you might? Not,
0: let, me, let, me, let me explain to you how the conversation could have yeah. gone with the dentist, right? Yeah. yeah. So I looked at my tooth and you tell me, based on your experience as a dentist, what ha- what you have noticed happen with my tooth, a tooth such as mine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In certain situations, this hole will get bigger. In other situations, it um, it doesn't get bigger. You know, because th- this is what I'm saying. Like, can we have a separate conversation about this? And then there are interventions. Like if he said, okay, this hole generally won't get bigger for another six months. So you have some time to make a decision about what the next step is. So I'm leaving that office kind of aware that I don't have to make a decision for six months. Or you say, you know what? That hole is a hole that will get bigger and six months is too long to wait. Mm -hmm. And then you declare that. And then the next step is, okay, what's, how do I pay for whatever the interventions might be here? I now have a lot more information about my health, not about my money. So you're
1: saying that guy like did the, the second part first. Yes. Oh, oh like, okay. No, like, erase all of this.
0: okay yes, I see. of course. I was <laughs> that's what I'm like. How are you two approving of this? No, Let's. no. I I
1: understand now. Let's let we'll cut all this out. No, I'm completely. No, that's no, so fucked it, up. So
0: it left me feeling like not that I. It left me feeling like I wasn't a person. I but see, I was like yeah. a check or an invoice, and I was like, that's not a feeling you want to leave. a med- So li- literally I was like, Oh my God, can I, do I need a new dentist? And now my tooth is her thing. I was like, should I go back? Because shit, maybe this is the natural that's time me. that I'm supposed to wait. So now I have no trust <laughs> yeah. and it makes me scoochy because yeah. now I'm like, Oh, fuck. listen, I'm, I, I, this must be like holdover from being put under the knife without having the equipment ready. Oh, but this gosh. is what I mean, because that's what happened when they're not thinking about you medically, they're just thinking about what they're going to be able to do while you're under.
1: Jason, you know? last season, Trisha had, um, it was on an episode of botched. It was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was very dramatic, very dramatic.
0: They put me under and then looked around and was like, the room's not ready.
1: They're like, oh. we don't have what we need. Whoops, <laughs> better bring her out of this anesthesia.
0: Oh. And, then I, and then they pretended that I had a bad reaction to the anesthesia, and that's why they pulled me out.
1: Yeah, so. Oh, <laughs> isn't healthcare great? Uh, it's a
0: real shit show.
1: <laughs> it's a real but I concur, shit
0: show. I concur with Jason, though, because I think the reality is you do have to have a series of conversations. And if you are sort of... Just a generally like reticent person, I don't know how you get good effective healthcare. You don't.
1: You, you don't, don't. Not be able to right.
0: ask you don't. questions. You know if what I mean? Like, if
1: you're shy, if you're the kind of person who's like, well, I don't want to make waves, then like I, good you're good home, luck. You're, <laughs> you're flipping a coin. You you're, gonna
0: like, oh. you're gonna die. You're gonna die. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> right. Anyway. I,
1: I have my doctors draw charts and graphs now. I'm like, can you? I was like, I understand your explains to me, but while you're this to you, can you jot down just just jot down what you're saying in front of me. It, well, because you know what? It helps them focus and it helps me focus. And I can look back on the page and be like, I need you to go back and explain this again. And I can point yep. to
2: it. Wow. That's yeah.
1: A good strategy. Well, listen, really good. listen, these people, they, you know, I'm on Obamacare. So they see people like me all day long and they're like, <laughs> yeah, get them in, get them in, get them out, get them out. So I was like, nope, we're going to take all the time. I'm going to soak up all this free health care until the Republicans destroy it
2: well it's already been struck down right i know Uh, i
0: created a new job i created a new job out of it you need like a translator
1: like a medical you need a medical advocate
0: yeah like a real one that's a real job like a private one though not the ones that the hospital offer you which is like connected to a hospital (laughs) conflict of interest
1: no, that's like if you, when you go to like a car lot, and they're like, yeah. well, to help to help you, I have this other guy who works here. We'll talk about how good a deal this is. And That guy's just like, this is a really it. good deal. You should take that.
0: <laughs> I'm just gonna carry me, carry you with me, my advocate, my personal advocate to help me make financial and medical choices.
1: Help. I bet rich people have that. I bet rich people. Yeah, they're called lawyers. Things. They do have that. Yeah, teams <laughs> <of them. laughs> there you go. <laughs> Teams
0: and they have them in the educational field, right? People who like negotiate to help your kids get into college. So, see, all of these people are mediating these systems. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, when when you're rich, everything goes. Last thing, now we jump into topics. Mm-hmm. I was watching Vice News and they were talking about doomsday, uh, as far as like climate change and everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was, I don't want to say I was surprised to learn because, of course, but there are in New York City services that you can buy, like insurance, Mm -hmm. make sure that should there be an apocalypse that you, one percenter, will survive. So for several thousand dollars a month, oh, damn it, I should find the name of the website. For several thousand dollars a month, you can pay to have a boat in downtown Manhattan, always fully gassed, always filled with provisions, Always ready to go. Like just turn key and just jet away from the island should anything happen.
0: That seems like a waste of money. So disaster happens. I don't know who's going to be able to do any of that. You know
2: what New York is the perfect place, right? Because first of all, there are people with a lot of money. Second of all, it is incredibly vulnerable to climate change, storms, floods, and thirdly, if, if anyone was going to drop a atomic bomb in the United States, you
1: know, it'd be New York or DC. Well, if someone's dropping it, what the fuck is your boat going to be doing? That's true. You go 30, Thirty knots 30 an hour or whatever. <laughs> Away from a mushroom cloud. But what, what, what bothers me about it is that yet again, the rich will survive, right? Like these fuckers have their gas of boats ready to, to zoom away from the zombie apocalypse or whatever. And then those people are gonna recreate society? No.
0: Have you seen the zombie apocalypse things? I don't want to be around anyway. No, oh, honey. <laughs> them I, kill as
1: soon as I see, as soon as I see the first zombie, I'm throwing myself directly out the window. I have zero threshold for any of that. Mm-mm. I'm not.
2: Nope. You you know what though, Chris? It's interesting what you say. I mean, you one could argue that the it dynamic like
1: one's about to go
2: ahead. I'm about to argue that the, the, the dynamic that you just described about like the 1% in New York and everyone else I mean to some extent like those of us in the United States we have a much bigger safety net for climate change at the moment than poor countries right I mean oh, poor God countries yeah. are getting just hammered by climate change and they don't have you know a federal government that then suddenly send you know as, as flawed as it is like we spend a ton of money to recover from these things and other countries just don't even have the means to do that.
1: No. Listen. I understand that, but it's it's I'm not talking about country versus country like how we are better positioned resources. to survive yeah. that than Nigeria. I'm just saying like the people. Like okay, think about it, right? If there was an apocalypse in New York, right? Who would you prefer to survive? Me or Warren? <laughs> Because you know what? It's going to be Warren Buffett. And that just doesn't seem fair. That <laughs> doesn't seem fair. Like, I don't know. All those Wall Street douches are going to survive because they could afford $3,000 a month or whatever to have a boat fully ready to gas. Also, not for nothing, now that they advertise that this service exists, mm-hmm. sure there would be an apocalypse. I'm just going to get a two-by-four and go downtown Manhattan and hang up on one of those boats till one of these jerks show up with the keys. And then that's how that goes. So – Listen up, America. Uh, you know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> two by four? What? I Come actually, on. You can it, do better than that. In my head, I was picturing a crowbar, but I said two by four. But, you know, anything goes upside their heads, I figure.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jumping directly into topics. Trisha,
0: what do you have for us? So one of the things that is really taxing for me right now is to see someone sort of make a proclamation on a social media platform, be declared entirely ignorant of what they've said. So someone makes a claim, another person comes back and said, that is completely false. Why are you even talking? You should just shut up and go away because what you've said is stupid. Can you give an example? And pick anyone. Pe- <laughs>
1: I mean, I, I have one if you don't, but okay, I, just glance at Twitter. I'm sure you'll find I'll have, I'll, see I'll, it.
0: I'll have a personal. So for example, there was an interaction. There was an interaction on someone, with someone on Twitter about Black Panther. Perfect example. And this woman said, you know, I haven't even seen Black Panther, but yet she makes all sorts of claims about Black Panther. I love that. And she's like, you know what? And I don't even need to talk about it because we could just deal with the real historical, the real history of what's going on in Africa right now. And um, actually, you know, this was actually what generated it. And so um, this person said, you know, if you want to have a conversation about Black Panther, that's fine. But we can't use Black Panther as an entryway in to talk about Politics in Africa, or politics in current Africa, or historical Africa, or any of those kinds of things. And I just thought to myself, why can't someone use Black Panther as an entry into a space that they may not know about? It's not to say that the movie is right, but if you have an experience, if you went to the movie and it generated a question in you that said, I don't know this thing, and then you went to pursue an answer. Is it okay for someone to say, I don't know this thing. I was introduced to it by popular culture. And then I went to go find out more about it.
1: I thought you were talking about something else, but this is also very interesting.
0: So, <clears throat> it's, for- That's what led to it. But then I, I sort of expanded it more broadly and thought about mm-hmm. how do we give people room to say they don't know a thing? that maybe we assume everyone should know. Well, I wouldn't even say that everyone, I wouldn't even say that
1: everyone should know. I I feel, so I want to talk about both these things that you're bringing up. So one, outrage culture, right? When you you mentioned social media, when it comes to social media, someone can say something and then you have millions of faceless people telling you exactly how you're wrong and where you should go and what you should do when you get there. And none of it is very polite. And Even when you are well intentioned in your exploration or your statements, there is no guide to be like, oh, this is where you're wrong. People are just, just jump all over you. And I think, I think that is problematic. But I think that the thing you're presenting, I think there is an answer to that. And everyone, people do this all the time is that there's an amount of gatekeeping that comes when you feel like you are smarter or that you have um, a handle on something and you don't want to share that handle. So if you feel very educated about African people, the African diaspora, the rest of it. And someone's like, I saw Black Panther. I want to participate, right? You don't want to share your handle. So you're like, oh, well, you have nothing to add. I, uh, we, that happens across all sorts of spheres is that people gatekeep others out of their, of their high-minded, as it were, conversations. Like
0: nerd culture conversations. Sometimes. Jason,
1: what do you think? Well, I agree with that. I think that
2: part of it is about power, and knowledge is power. I mean, to your question, Tricia, like I think that we tend to want to have some level of monopoly or ownership over certain spheres because that that keeps the power with us. I think that, you know, that outrage culture. I, I mean, I just think about whether it's on social media or in public discourse, the reality is you get rewarded, right? For responding negatively in the sense that you get more attention, even if the attention you get is why are you jumping all over that person? They're interested. You know, they're being honest about their ignorance. You you got in the game, you got a reaction. I don't have any answers, but I think, I think it is a real problem. Anything that people feel invited to get more knowledge and better understanding, we should really celebrate that and take advantage of it as long as it's done kind of with humility.
1: Well, th- but- we're not even there anymore though. Because this is know, the second not- part of what Trisha's saying is that like, I, I'm not going to say our because I don't want to own this, but like I feel like society generally when anyone admits anything, the first thing you do is tear people down. This is a, a bare example, but on RuPaul's Drag Race, they had um, uh, one of the guest judges was... I don't know. It might have been Vanessa Hudgens. It might have been Demi Lovato. It might have been the other one. I get confused with those two. Um, I don't know which white girl with brown hair who maybe sings and maybe – I don't know who any of these girls are. But anyway, she was on the panel. Wait, do they do they identify as white, those two women you just met? Yeah. I don't Demi think- Lovato? She's Latina, right? Is she? No, the other one I confused with her is Latina.
0: Oh, the mess? Mess? Latina. Oh, Latina. oh, you've already messed up. See, look at your ignorance right here. Wait, yeah, is I... that
1: not wait? Which one is which?
0: <laughs> I don't know. So make your point.
2: is <laughs> it Vanessa Hudgens part Filipino and you, Demi you Lovato should, part Latino? Say,
1: wait, which one is Vanessa Hudgens?
0: The one that was in um the one with Zach Efron. The oh, High
1: School Musical!
0: High School Musical. Oh, that's
1: not the girl I was thinking of. <laughs> you know what you have to do? Go Talk back about exposing one's ignorance. I, I, am,
0: um, I am everyone
2: reached, Chris. I am go back in the comments. Go Chris, back,
0: asshole. He doesn't know who's <laughs> there. Go back and start with a recent pop star.
1: <laughs> so, a RuPaul's Drag Race, a pop star. Let's say there you go was on the panel. And the challenge was that all the girls would be voguing. And so this recent pop star, she just said, oh, my God, I'm so into voguing right now. And the internet went crazy. They just ripped her to shreds over that, this very bare comment. And I was following it because I was like, at first, the first time I saw the episode, I didn't remember she said that, right? Mm -hmm. But apparently it rubbed people the wrong way. And then they had to tear her down.
2: Wait, why did that rub rub them?
1: I'm missing You know, that's the question I had. But the thing is, is that voguing um, as, a, as a culture is very important to a segment of the population. Uh, so okay.
2: They're important,
1: and they're yeah. extremely defensive about it. Um, it. And even though she didn't say anything slanderous, the fact that she was bringing it up in less than reverential tones um, <laughs> sort of <laughs> set off a segment of the population on Twitter. There was memes and all sorts of stuff. But oh. it goes back to what you're saying, Tricia, is that like, if you're ignorant of something, and not even ignorant, but if you just don't know of what you, what you speak, there's no one who's going to go, hey, let me give you some more information. Or maybe there will be, but it's drowned out by hundreds of thousands of people jumping on you. And I don't know, is that about ignorance or is that about our current social media culture? Well, you know, Would that happen in real life, do you think?
0: I. This is really important to me because I think what that makes me realize is that it's probably socially mediated. And I think because in a media landscape such as the one that we have now where information is seen as transactional. If you are on a platform and you're being paid to speak or talk about different things, people feel justified in calling you out on not knowing a thing, right? Because that's mm-hmm. a part of you're, so, you're selling yourself as a kind of knowledge or thought leader, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what um, this space allows for. Someone to come in, be an expert, write articles, do little quizzes, do whatever on these like social media platform. And you're supposed to, you get paid for that. And I think when you reveal an ignorance, people go, oh, why are you getting paid? Why have you been tagged as someone who's in the know? You know what I mean? I feel like then knowledge is something that is not a kind of back and forth interaction between you and another person anymore. It's more about you have the keys to the kingdom and you have been allowed to have that. And it. it comes to Jason's point about power. Why do you have the power to decide what content is and isn't on different platforms and you've been tagged as someone who's in the know and you've just revealed that you don't know? So I feel like that's a part of that battle that happens. The reason why I worry about it though is because when I think about interactions between people where I feel like I've grown and the other person has grown, it's because maybe we've, we've risked ourselves and revealed something we didn't know. You know what I mean? You say, it's that vulnerability, right? It's yeah, it's bad. a vulnerability. You say, I don't know, and you allow that person to inform you, and then you do the reverse, and then you feel closer. It feels like you actually can't replicate that in a social media space. And I think that's really challenging. No,
2: that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. And it, certainly we see this in political discourse, right? I yeah. mean, our, our our national leaders, like, they cannot admit to doing anything wrong or not knowing something and they are so quick to jump all over each other i mean they're they're basically and it's not just them i'm sure their staffs are looking for yep. every opportunity to say that someone else doesn't know anything or
0: like even what's happening with ocasio right every little thing mm-hmm. that isn't that her name ocasio
1: ocasio cortez <laughs> yeah, part of her name
0: Cong- Ocasio Cortez, yeah,
2: congresswoman ocasio cortez is that yeah anything? how dare you Sorry. Yeah.
0: You? Ocasio, I mean, I talked to her, I talk about her like she's my friend, but you know, I feel like that happens with her a lot. Like every single thing she says is under the microscope. And yeah. if there's any moment or any piece of it that is wrong, it, it basically disav- it's a, it's an opportunity to disavow everything she said, everything. And that to me is just such a scary way to exist. It's, like It's, it's like, me, it's binary,
1: right? Yeah. It's, it's like, like you're an idiot. Oh, you know exactly what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> All it, the time. That's it's super <laughs> dangerous
1: to set that up that way, right? Because like either, you know, how many times have you heard, oh, so-and-so is canceled? Yeah. Right? I, that's my favorite thing. Oh, so-and-so is, Hugh Jackman is canceled because he said that he's friends with Ivana, Ivanka Trump and they don't talk politics. Done. Yeah. End of story. <laughs> There's nothing left to discuss. Uh, <laughs> we're done with him. And I was like, okay, that raises eyebrows. But is there any context in there? Like, is there anything salvageable about Hugh Jackman anymore? Or we just throw the whole Hugh Jackman away? And I, I, I think that's where we are. I think, um, you know, I blame Newt Gingrich. Well, um, I but, don't know. But, <laughs> but I, mean, know, I, I think it's just part of like, you know, I, I blame Newt Gingrich. I blame the internet. In general, We we have this conversation all the time, is that nuance and complication is something that, one – I think America's, Americans have always had a problem with complication yeah. and nuance yes. and they yeah. prefer fantasy and magic. And secondly, I think the tools that we have for discussion now do not lend themselves to nuance whatsoever. Much like Newspeak well in Orwell's 1984, there are just certain concepts that we cannot enunciate with the tools that we have. So if I should, if I should tweet something that is ignorant of say trans issues... I'm going to have the entire trans block like down my throat because the tools that we have, it's so much easier to do that than to be like, hold on a second. What did you mean? Where did that come from? Let me tell you why that hit me this way. Like Twitter, that's already too many characters.
0: (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. And so in a weird way, I feel that, not a weird way, but I think I've actually been managing my experience of Twitter because I've come to that recognition is that I'm less – I'm less willing to share my opinions in a very strong way there anymore, just because I just don't think it's the right environment to have a back and forth. It just doesn't lend itself to that anymore. So I'm just much more cautious because as you said, it's like, I can't, I can't go back and forth with you. I can't admit to not knowing something and not become um, a horrific person. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, it's so much harder to do that. It's so much harder to say, oh, you know, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry, and then let that be it and move on. I, that and that platform doesn't allow for that at all. It just allows for you to be savaged, and then it's over. <laughs> like, so I just that's that's that, and to me, that's a real challenge. If that's a platform that's going to be used for doing all sorts of um, conversing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And if it's a primary platform for, say, our leader and what that looks like. And if it's a primary platform for some people to gain impressions of people that are, you know, important to us, like our congresswoman or congressman or any of that stuff, like I just, that feels like a, just a really dangerous environment. But I also think it's connected to something like a Fox News, right? Because if you can't publicly say that you are ignorant of something, doesn't it then make sense that you would be looking for a platform that just feeds you something ready-made?
1: Well, I think when you bring up Fox News, it's it's an interesting connection to make because Fox News, uh, News Corp, this the assault on reason is yeah. real, yeah, and, and many a times, I, I brought Newt Gingrich before, but he had said this before about, um, he had said this once in an interview that. The things that he was saying wasn't necessarily about facts, but it was, he was right. more talking about how people felt.
2: How people yeah. feel. That's right. How people
1: feel. And so when it's about how I, what I feel or what I believe, well, that I'm the expert on that. You know, you, you can't tear me down for my beliefs or how I feel. That's always 100% true to me. And I think what Fox News and some of those outlets have done is to weaponize that to then create this space of unambiguity about certain things, right? So it doesn't matter if immigrants are really flooding the country or not. Do you feel that they are? Yep. Then, great, let's have a discussion about yep. that, using that as the basis.
0: But do yep. you see how that's connected to a space of, of discomfort around not knowing? Because sure. if I, if I, if I, if I yep. set you up to deal only with how you feel, then you live in a space of always being right about what you feel. It's a thing that you know. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you that there might be another space where you are going to have to have an expert inform you, or you might have to acknowledge that there is like an empty bucket here, then, you know, then you have to admit to not knowing. And that is such um, a demoral, that's become a demoralizing position, you know? And so I feel like all of that sets us up into this space. So it's not just outrage culture, but it's just this willingness to live with not knowing and the discomfort of not knowing, and then having to then fill yourself up with that knowledge that someone else has. I just don't think people, my sense of it, and I just haven't seen that of people saying, "You know what? I don't know. Inform me, and let me go learn."
2: Yeah. No. And I, you know, with take like climate change, I actually think you can see this. Yeah, progression or maybe it's a regression where there was a time when conservatives said well there's some disagreement still among the scientists which was arguably true and then became more and more untrue because more and more all scientists were agreeing and then i remember when romney was running against obama and the line you heard then from conservatives was well i'm not a scientist so i can't say for sure but and so there was a kind of acknowledgement of I'm not an expert. I don't know, but I still think this is the direction we go. Then you get Trump who says climate change is a hoax created by the Chinese. It's, it's It's not that there are things I don't know. It's that I do know that this stuff isn't true. So you get into this space of certainty. And I think to your point, Chris, like certainty based on feeling, not based on fact. And then there's no room to argue, right? Because you know, you're a very stable genius. You know oh, exactly God. exactly what the deal is, and the deal is this. And there's no room to talk about. Well, maybe I should educate. There's no educating anyone about it because you you already know, even though what you know is not based on fact.
1: You know, when the president was handed the climate change report that said everyone's gonna die in ten years, uh, he they asked him, they're like, "Oh, did you read the report?" Which, first of all, we all know the answer to that question. But uh, then he said, "Yeah, I did. I don't believe it." Because that's what you can do with facts.
0: I don't yeah. believe it. Yeah. I'm just
1: going to throw that out. And I, I think um, it feels like we've gone far afield, but no, we've all, I think we've been talking about the same thing this whole time, is that there's something that we do with knowing and not knowing. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, Tricia, the way you started was that the relationship between knowing and not knowing and how we handle that has trickled down into our social situations where it's sort of like not knowing something feels like a cardinal sin, which you have, then you have to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. But just the quality of knowing something or not knowing it is so murky because people will insist, like you said, Jason, when me, I don't know any of the facts of that, but I just,
0: mm,
1: eh, it doesn't <laughs> feel right.
0: It doesn't feel <laughs> right.
1: So it's probably not true. And it's like, well, I, I don't think that works that way. <laughs> here we
0: are. Don't you, don't you think, I mean, I think ultimately a part of it is really, it's really a little bit about ego and uncertainty.
2: Oh, yes, that is what it's about. Absolutely. A little bit? Did you say
1: a little bit?
0: About well, it? I mean, it's blend. I don't think if, you know, if you present it to people like that, they wouldn't see it that way. It's much easier for you to settle into a space of knowing, even if the knowing is wrong. It's yeah. really bad.
2: <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. Although I, I think, I think ego is a huge part of it. There's another part, which is if I leave the door open to scrutiny or dialogue or debate, I may lose. Yeah. Um, or, or I'll be kind of simp. Sympath- this is a little more sympathetic view or someone may exploit my uncertainty. So like, mm-hmm. I think I see a lot in like government when it's like, oh, we want to study this issue. And then some people like, no, like sh- shut that down because there's a concern that, well, someone's going to exploit that. They're going to, you know, someone's going to take that in the direction they want to take it. And so it's, it's safer to just say, no, we have the facts. We know the reality and just shut it down. By the way, it can be exploited in the other direction too, where that, you know, it it, people's um, agenda could be, well, if the answer is not where they want it right now, well, no, let's keep studying it. It does work the other way too. Like sometimes like, again, climate change, we know what's happening. Like that is actually something we do know, but it's not in everyone's short-term interests. Like there are people who have moneyed interests that, you know, it's not good for them to admit to that. And so then it's like, no, 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 we, we, you know, we got to keep studying it.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, in the end, though, personally, I I'm gonna land on a place where I I just say I don't know. I just say I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, or I let inform me, or let me go and find it out. That's how I've translated that that space of living in a living with not knowing and sort of being okay with not knowing and saying I don't know.
1: I just kind of go through my life saying stuff and then ignore anyone who who attacks me and only engage people who <laughs> engage. No, because like, listen. I know. <laughs> Listen, I have a lot of opinions and and yeah, and I put them out there and sometimes people are like, you're an asshole. I ignore those people because I'm not I'm not learning anything from that. You know, you may not like what I said and that's information, but if you've nothing else but vitriol, then great. I'm going to move on from that, right? <laughs> because I register that you're upset and that's the only thing I can take away from this and now I've got to figure out why, but clearly you're not going to be the one to inform me. So <laughs> You no know, but that's also why I stay offline <laughs> well
2: and I think I think with the position that you that you articulated Trisha about I don't know and I'm open to learning or I need to learn about it I mean that's the only position from which we can like grow as people and and gain knowledge and become more mature and but yeah it's so hard for us to do that I so I I am applauding. You're humbly <laughs> acknowledging. Well, it when
0: Saves you know. me. It saves us all. It saves me from a humiliation trap. Really, to be honest, because I'm humiliation? like
1: humiliation. Who just has the time? I don't want to waste know. my. No,
0: I mean no. It's there's a lot of savagery. There's just a, a lot of savagery. About a savage. that, you know, I find you, and it's like, listen. Even if it's not within the scope of what you're working as your career, someone finds you being ignorant one place. The assumption is your ignorance um, translates into this other space, and now people say, "Why do you have this job? How do you can you?" do your job if you don't know this you know it's like it all like mushrooms into something much bigger than it really needs
1: to be kinder just everyone needs to be kinder and needs to give people the space i want want to close on this uh it's another drag queen reference Um, (laughs) there was a a drag queen uh, named willem and what she did was she had made some comments about trans people and as you can imagine the internet went nuts another drag queen, uh, a friend of hers, Courtney Act is her name. They videoed it, right? Where they had a conversation where Courtney was explaining why people were upset and why what Willem said was problematic and then took Willem around to talk to trans people. And it was like a three-part video on YouTube. And I was like, this is what it should look like. This is how you educate people not just like, oh, what you said was wrong, you're an asshole, you're canceled, like without any conversation about what is right, right? Or why people feel the way they did. And I really, I enjoyed watching that video because not only did I learn a lot, I just thought the care that Courtney took in walking someone who didn't understand why what they said was hurtful or hateful, walking and, and, and also, and I'll end on this, giving full faith to someone. That they wish to understand.
0: Yeah, that's really difficult. That's yeah. not
1: what we do. Yeah. No one does that anymore. Giving full faith, yeah. like, hey, you probably didn't mean to offend millions of people. And I trust that. So let me just walk you through this. Yeah. I think that's really what we're missing. That's that's what I miss yeah. anyway. So I like that. Moving on, Jason, you want to talk about political discourse.
2: So the short version of my question is. Is it possible that it could be a political winner to have a message of unity, of bringing people together, of pursuing policies that benefit all, rather than fighting or pitting one group of people against another? And just the context is, I've just, I feel like we were recently through an election cycle, and I think we hear this fighting, it's very common of, I'm going to fight for you. And and even if it's not said explicitly, there's always implication. I'm going to fight against another group of Americans. I'm going to fight for you, this group of Americans I'm talking to, against this other group of Americans. I think certainly it's Trump's discourse, but it was also Hillary's. I think she often said, I am going to fight for you. And I think we definitely heard it in the recent midterm elections from people on both sides and and to me you know we complain about it being a polarized society which i think is very problematic and we talk about bringing the country together and being less divisive but that is the rhetoric we hear again and again and at least my recollection of obama's messaging when he was running was was much less fighting um and it was much more bringing people together or you know pursuing things that benefit all And it's it's so hard for me to even imagine it right now, even though you hear all this rhetoric about let's bring people together. I'm wondering whether it's actually possible. And the last thing I'll say, and I really want to hear your thoughts, Bernie Sanders probably comes the closest in that the group that he is always pitting himself against is the millionaire class. So at least there, he's like at least talking about being on behalf of like the 99%. Um, So that's the vast majority, but it's still, it's still, you know, it's still divisive language. So, I'd love to hear what you two think about that.
0: <sighs> First, I I feel sad that um, Bernie's the one that comes closest to it because I really am over Bernie. But um... <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> can we just can
1: we just <laughs> spill some like just spill some wine on the floor for <laughs> Bernie and Trisha's relationship? There I don't know really why you
0: thought I don't know why you characterized my romance with Bernie as a romance because you know I didn't like him from the get.
1: <laughs> there was a moment in time you fought it. You fought it like one of those women in those Victorian novels <laughs> who ran from him, then you ran toward him. And now it's over.
0: <laughs> you know? There was never anything there, but I think, you know, I think there's something really useful about the language that you're talking about, Jason, which is this notion of fight and a battle. And so the question, when you're, when you say things like that, then there are winners and losers in such a situation, right? Right. What is winning then for the American people? Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Who are the winners and the losers in a situation like that?
1: And then what so, are So people- like what you're saying, Trisha, is like in a situation where-
0: If you're saying uh, a fight.
1: So I'm saying, like I'm going to fight against the Republicans to get us free college. What you're saying is that the problem with that construction is that someone will win, and then one half of the country will lose. Is that what you're saying? You know, it's
0: like (laughs) I was growing up, and someone said, and you, you know, in Jamaica, you be, you know, in a town, and you're on a road. The road is very paved, and then midway through, the road stops being paved, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that side lost the election." (laughs) Oh man. You know, I mean, at least that's how my ignorant little brain heard it when I was younger. But it really was.
2: I'm not sure that was ignorant. That may have been dead on, Trish. You may
0: have understood <laughs> no. that an audio and yeah. I, I just, I, and so you know, and so it is interesting to ask this question about. I, actually, I think it, what's noteworthy, though, Chris, is I don't know if they often name the person they're fighting. I think they use fighting language. Right. But they don't always say, I'm fighting this or fighting this person or that person. But I think what they want is they want that sort of like feeling that you are going to bat for them. But even though they, even though we haven't even figured out who the villain is, right. <laughs> but we're selling a kind of battle ground.
1: I mean, it's very dramatic and it's very appealing. It makes us feel protected and taken care of. Like if I if I said to you right now, like you know what, Trisha, I'm going to call up your dentist. I'm going to fight for you, (laughs) and I make
0: sure that he
1: explains everything. Uh, medical first, money second. Like how do you do right now. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, you feel? Like, You're wow, thinking, you Chris is on th- top of his shit. You don't actually think about what it means for me to go in and fight your dentist, who then has to put a tool in your mouth. You know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> also, that's the disconnection. I know. <laughs> but think about it, though. Think about it. Think about why that's necessary. And this is, I think, the crux of Jason's question. My assumption in that, in listening to you say that you're going to do that, is my assumption is that the dentist does not care about my health. Do you understand?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Because I'm assuming that this dentist has made an equation where they value other things besides my health. Do you see what I mean? And I think- well, that's, that's also
1: set up by my construction by saying that to you, right? I know.
0: But, I mean, yeah. Even, even, but if, I you think
1: walk, even if you didn't walk in with that assumption- Like Mm me couching in these terms means that I have to fight to make the dentist consider you.
0: Exactly. And that's what, and I think that's the, that's the crooks of the argument is that I think the reason why people use it though, is because there is a, there is an assumption that people feel like they have been left behind Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and we're not naming the thing that's left them behind. We're not talking about, systemic racism, systemic inequalities. We're not even saying those things because those things exist. And that's what leads to the feeling in other people. What we're going to say is we're fighting for you as a kind of shortcut, right? It's a shortcut without actually acknowledging that there are some systemic issues that we could challenge as a group so that you get the things that you deserve as a citizen. So instead of saying that, what we do is we go with this sort of illusory battery um battle mm-hmm. and we never have to admit the actual structural problems that exist that would call for us to work to create a kind of platform that's unifying
1: What does that language look like, Jason? you brought this up so you have an idea?
2: well, I'm not sure i you know because i when I think about especially in response to what you just said, Tricia, when I think about often historically what it has looked like is when there's been an external threat <laughs> but you're still fighting someone right <laughs> like we're going to go fight the soviets so we're going to go fight the nazis or you know whatever um so but but i think i think what it could look like and and maybe i think what you said chris might be right on it just what i'm about to say it might not be very compelling but you know it it's it's more about like we can all develop into um you know, for, for example, better Americans, we can develop into better people who are better educated and more equipped uh, to pursue um, our dreams and and that kind of thing it, it's It's really about um you know we can all be improving our our lives and our children's future you know and it's it I think you could articulate it that we have a a kind of collective goal or aspiration. That we, you know, I can, I am running for president because I have some ideas that can really help all of us create a better future for our kids.
1: Yeah, but how are you going to do that?
0: It's a problem what statement. What's the problem statement then?
1: Yeah, like I'm going to get better education for you and your kids. Why don't they have it now? The thing about the language of battle is that it creates a narrative. Yeah. So your kids don't have education your kids don't have a good education now because those democrats go into the go into the house and senate every year and they pass bills that x y and z that's why i'm going to go there now and i'm going to take care of that for you and then your kids will have good education it's there's an entire story there's a beginning middle and end and this is the truth of the matter and nobody wants to admit it but conservatives and liberals at the basis want the same thing they want they want security for themselves uh, they want security for their families. They want meaningful work. They want good wages. They want every. They want all the same stuff. But then, so but then to like delineate them from each other, you have to tell a story, and that's why political. That's when political parties get formed. So, Jason, I agree with you. I would be think it'd be great if we had a language where we'd be like, "All right, everyone, we're going to come together and do this." But that story is incomplete because my first question is, well, why don't we have that already? And how are we going to stop whatever forces that are in play right now that stop us from getting good education, good health care, good security, wages? Like, What's going to stop those things from roaring back and taking it from us again?
2: Well, no, those are good questions. My, My initial response, which you're hearing a little bit in the rhetoric now, one could say that what's stopping us now is exactly the tribalism and infighting. You could say that like... I'm going to bring us together to help us work together cuz we'll achieve more together. I mean, this is Hillary kind of said this with her stronger together, but then she still kept talking about fighting for people. Um, but it's it's actually it is the infighting that's stopping us.
0: See, I don't think so. I think that's so interesting. I feel like we've landed on the infighting. But the infighting
2: Let, let me just interrupt you real quick and then I want to hear what you say. I'm not saying that is the problem, but I am saying that the, that could be the message. But go ahead.
0: Yeah, I think I think we've landed on this. I think you're right. We've landed on this messaging around infighting as a distraction from the fact that really the seed the seed of why the problems exist are different for the for each group, right? So there's a kind of question about what is the meaningful intervention on the government side. And one group believes that the government can intervene quite a bit. And another group believes that the less intervention by the government, the better, The the, the less left up to, which is interesting, right? Because I was just reading a headline and I didn't read the whole thing, but it said, because of the failure of the federal government, cities and um cities and state governments are taking care of infrastructure problems on their own. There are some elements of it that they that had a federal piece to it, but because the federal government sort of failed to participate, they're going on their own. Now, on one hand, that sounds like a great thing, right? For people who are like states rights folks, that seems fine. But why are you a part of a nation then, right? And so it's like it's kind of like if you say to yourself, well, you know, my kids I just stopped feeding them and they figured out how to fend for themselves.
1: (laughs) At some point, the kid's are going to be like, and and you are
0: parents? And you are. Exactly. Why are we around? You know what I mean? And then at some point, the kid will be like, should I be sitting at dinner with you all? Should we be considered a family after all? Should we be considered a unit? You know, there's a part. I mean, and and so that's why I find really fascinating is like, I find this question of, the role government is supposed to play. And then therefore the narrative you tell about it, the real problem. Like, how do you have a conversation with one person that says do a lot? And the other one that says do as little as possible. How do those people meet? <laughs> how should they meet? <laughs> you know I mean? I do, yeah. And so I think that you, I think you end up in a kind of imaginary world, Jason, where you do have these narratives that are really disconnected from exactly what's even happening. Right. So now we're going to have this whole narrative around, like, oh, you know, it's really because there's so much partisanness in, in DC and so much infighting and da 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 da. And people are so polarized and blah, blah, blah. But I you know, I mean, Once, I think
1: I think you can define a message using Obama as a template, maybe not a template, but as an inspiration. I think you can certainly devise a message around hope in the future moving forward that doesn't necessarily implicate 50% of the country in holding you back. Mm-hmm. Um, it would. I just don't know if the country is ready for that message. Like if you take aim at history itself, I can, hmm, I'd have to think about this, but I can, I feel like you can tell a story about why we don't have the things that we want. And if you you can blame it on a historical arc, and that now that we are wiser and stronger and smarter and more prepared, we can do, we can do America two That might be successful. I, I
0: think like you it. Could do that, uh, yeah, from the vote, great society. Yeah, but you could say that around the great society. But one of the things that the great society piece was about was distracting people from who it was going to serve, right?
1: Well, a hundred years later. Uh, I think, I don't know if that would be the same issue anymore. You know, I think if, if you came up with, if you came up with a message that was inclusive of people, right. Which in the 20th century, that wasn't necessarily what any of the messages were about. If you came up with a message that was inclusive of people and really were pitching a a kind of America that was prosperous because of the people, not in spite of it that is the message i think if someone was charismatic enough um they could really drive that home obama went obama touched on some of that here and there um hillary started that way and then quickly um just joined the rank and file of the way that politicians speak about each other i don't i don't know i i think it's possible jason
0: Maybe I, Beto. It's not what he did. Isn't that how he was able to get those people excited? Texas.
1: Maybe I, I don't know. I need to learn more about him. I feel very lukewarm about him, and I don't know why.
0: Well, because he was from Texas, and he was talking to Texans. Like,
1: yeah, I, I mean, now let's he's emerging see. as a national
0: figure, so it's okay.
1: But I think. It, I think it. Now I'm just wishing, but like, if someone was charismatic enough, as far yeah, as yeah. like really giving people room to grow and move. And acknowledging that we all want that room, maybe it would have to be um, it have to be someone with a lot of charisma who's initiating a cultural shift at the same time, which is really difficult. Maybe it can't be a political figure. But you know what you
0: think? those three mm-hmm. people who lost, they had, they had that message:
1: Gilliam, Abrams, and yep. O'Rourke.
0: And O'Rourke. Okay. they all three had this message of "I'm here for everyone." There was an engagement face to face with people. Yep. I mean, Abrams went all over Georgia, all okay. over. Communities that never saw a politician, right? Yeah. But and it's not to say, and clearly the message was resonant for a lot of people, but then there were some practical implications, voter suppression really that got in the way. So it's hard to know how successful the messaging was, right? But there was there seemed to have been real enthusiasm.
1: Um I think Stacey Abrams did a really great job of trying to disconnect that rhetoric. I saw yeah. her being interviewed on the view and Megan McCain, you could just see Megan McCain was waiting while Abrams was talking. She was like, I'm gonna ask her a question. I'm gonna eviscerate her, you know, because she's such a bitch. But anyway, um
0: <laughs> Oh
1: no yeah. uh, Megan McCain, don't get me started you know Megan McCain's like, "Oh, um, how do you feel about the second amendment? Are, will you be taking people's guns?" I swear to god that was the way she asked
0: it. That was so silly. And I was That's already really exhausted. Question.
1: And Stacey Abrams was like, "Listen, I own a gun. Um, I remember shooting with whatever," and she's like, "I want what everybody wants. I want people to be safe with guns." I want our communities to be safer. I don't want our children to be the targets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see Megan McCain's like trying to keep her face like, I'm going to hold her feet to the fire. <laughs> you know what? This is what everybody wants. It's Maybe reasonable. <laughs> this is what everybody wants, right? We're all on the same page. Who cares if she's a Democrat? Who cares if she's a woman, if she's black? Don't you not want your kids to be shot up? Maybe not. that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants yeah. that. Are you and- sure? <laughs> Honey, that's another podcast.
2: No, well, I think I think it's a good... You're, what you're saying is a good point. I think what's really unfortunate is that... Now I'm going to sound very divisive, but I do think, and probably get back to New Gingrich, some of these issues, they've just... They've been framed in such a way. So when someone like Stacey Abrams says, you know, I want everyone to be able to vote and I want to end voter suppression, there are people who have framed that in such a way that other people hear, I want to allow for voter fraud. It's ridiculous. We know it's not true. (laughs) This goes back to the first topic. Yeah, it goes back to the first topic, but that's how people (laughs) feel about it. That feeling has been stoked by people like Newt Gingrich and a lot of other people. Um, And so it's really, I mean, I'm I'm, now, I'm, I'm getting depressed now because I think the answer to my question might be no, because the rhetoric of unity sometimes gets interpreted as, even though I'm saying this, I'm really saying I'm going to be fighting, you know, you people over there.
1: No, you know what? I'm, you you know, Jason, you're wrong. I think (laughs) it doesn't have to go that way. I, I'm going to think more about this, but I think there really is a message there for people that people are really ready to hear. It's the anti evangelical message, right? Which is just like, this is for all of us. Um, for every single one of us, I think, there are people who are ready to hear that message, especially after the current politics. Yeah, um, And we'll see. And yeah, the people who's not ready for it because those people are like, no, just for me and mine and people who look like me. And that's always going to be a segment of the population, but it, it's not always going to be 50%. It's not 50% now. No, Let's it's not 50%. But,
0: no. but I want to say- but it's, it is 50% of the people voting. Ugh. Well, yeah, it, it, actually,
1: true. it's not. Well, uh, yeah, it was like 33
0: uh, percent of people voting. Right? <laughs> but I think the problem
2: is a lot of people, it's not even what you just said, Chris, is, was, which is I, you know, it's, it's this should only be for me. It's when you say all people, you're talking about taking something away from me. I mean, that that was the rhetoric. I mean, that's that's what Trump stoked. Right. Trump stoked. This whole forgotten American, which is, yeah, 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 Obama's saying he's representing everyone, but when he says that, he's really what he's really doing. Let me interrupt you, right?
1: Because, like I said, there's always going to be people who are going to come back with that message, but I think the other message. Again, if it's presented correctly, can be stronger than that. Yeah. Because right. the message that you're describing has no content. It's just attacking the other one. Right. Yeah. If someone comes out with content, like Abrams did in that interview with Megan McCain, who just really wanted her soundbite. And Abrams was like, actually, let's bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Like that is a strong argument. A, a strong argument is just not like, I don't believe it. That's not a strong argument. And I think what's happening is that the scales are falling from people's eyes now. And they see that that is not a strong argument. So, I mean, we'll see. You know, maybe I'll run for president. I don't know. Go for it.
0: Well, also, the, the thing, I think the underlying piece, too, uh, about Jason's question is is the perception of whether everyone can win. In order to have a platform that suggests that things are possible, we have to sort of disentangle this idea that it's a really limited pie We've constructed lots of scenarios that way, so I think it's really hard for you to to sell even that that platform that Jason is offering.
1: I, I can see it though. I'm gonna I'm gonna have hope. Like I said, I'll run for president in
0: 2020.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the the Hudson Harris ticket.
2: That'll be your that'll be your Hail Mary before you leave the country. Yeah.
0: Well, you know you you know the, you know the ticket I've been reading about though. What? What? The Biden the Biden and Harris. No, not even. It's the Biden um, Beto ticket.
1: No, no. that's not going to work. I
0: agree. Why not? It's not
1: going to work because they're. That's not. What well, you, <laughs> you need a minority. You need a person of color. Yeah, everyone's saying like you're never going to be able to run again without a woman or a minority. Which
0: I don't know about. that. I don't know about. I don't, that. About that. I don't, I don't love that, and I don't Trump
1: know about that. i doing it. but and, then, and I don't want to get too far off topic because we're going to slide into recommendations. But I and maybe we can talk about this next episode. I, I don't Biden or does not inspire me as a Democrat and n- not that I, I, I like Joe Biden. um, I like better work together. I just feel like that's a lot of running over the same ground. Meh. I mean, I think Biden Harris, when they've been pictured to get, they've been photographed together a couple of times recently. I find that intriguing. Um, I'll
0: take Biden. I I'd take Bi- Biden Abrams over Harris any day.
1: I would take um, Gilliam Abrams.
0: Over anything that we said. I don't know if we, I don't know if we can convince America to go down that road. One, <laughs>
2: I'm,
1: I'm sticking with Michelle Obama, and I don't care who she
2: chooses. Uh, you can stick Jesus with her all
0: Christ. you want.
1: Yeah, like, you keep, like, keep lighting am. a prayer candle for that. Um,
2: <laughs> Obama, anyway. Obama, Obama Winfrey, that's my ticket. Uh, do
1: do not. I will not entertain that on this podcast. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey better stay in her goddamn lane, and I, I don't even like her in that lane. So,
0: in her lane.
1: Okay, so let's move into recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced. You think other people should see, here, read, or experience. Uh, Jason, why don't you go first?
2: Well, I have continued my research into white European history, and um, I recently—I've been reading. I did not finish it. I'm reading this book, The Romanovs. By Simon oh, Sebag wow. Montefiore, and um, I it is it's really interesting. My goodness, are these people brutal? Just brutal! Oh my goodness, kind of forget how violent people are. But um, it's a good read.
0: Is it a history of the whole, the whole family?
2: Yes, from the time they first became czars all mm-hmm. the way to the time they were murdered by the Bolsheviks. Yeah.
1: Mm. So, quick question. Yeah. Anastasia was killed, right? She wasn't really she didn't escape or like yeah, she that died that is. night, right? i I mean, I don't yes, there's okay. The Bolsheviks were
2: so intent on making sure there was no one that the Russian people could hitch their hopes on in terms of a monarch. and the I mean, yeah, she they just they fired away. It was just okay. so brutal though. and I mean, that I you know, I knew about that episode, but it goes all the way back to the seventeenth century. I mean, whenever a group of people decided they wanted to unseat another family, what they did to the kids, I mean, I there's this one scene, I mean, they, they strung, they burned a four-year-old boy to death and strung him from the walls of Red Square. And one other thing, uh, it's just awful. when they. <laughs> Our politics you know, might not be that bad then. <laughs> well, well, look, when they decided, <laughs> you know, similar things that you hear na- now, that like, Every conspiracy the Jews were involved, right? Whether they were conspiring with the Poles or the Ottomans or the Mongols. And there was one part where they go through the countryside and they just murder a ton of Jewish men and kids and then roast and eat the kids in front of the mothers as they rape them. I mean. Okay. Okay. You might need to cut that out.
1: Okay. Um, Let's all pause because that was a lot. Yeah. I need a (laughs) minute.
0: (laughs) A real minute, I We're really to take didn't. a
1: minute and then I'll just stitch together like after a moment of silence because that was
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, I
1: apologize. <laughs> I don't Okay. Trisha, why don't you go next? Because yeah. I am gonna take a minute.
0: <laughs> From eating children.
1: I okay, let's not revisit it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now we have to put up with it. <laughs> I had to tell someone. <laughs> It's okay. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Ooh,
1: not me. Anyway,
0: Trisha, go ahead. <laughs> um. So my media recommendation is uh, definitely not that. So I went to see if Beale Street could talk. Now, I'm not one of those people who have, Um. I have not read the James Baldwin book. And I knew that the story was probably going to be sad, but I really like, barry jenkins because i think he i think he takes such care with the people that he puts on screen with his characters like this, this is a person who cares about the characters that he has placed in his movie and that care translates in the way that it's shot in the um in all of the moment to moment pieces on screen and i knew i was gonna cry which i did i cried the whole movie because it's just such a beautiful story about love and family and hope. And it is ridiculous that it looks like it could have been written by an author now.
1: Hmm. Well, that it's is like, like so the, much of James Baldwin stuff.
0: It's like, it's so sad it's that that it's like, immediately I mean, like, I mean, it's, it, that is the tragedy of it is that this feels like a book that was actually written into in 2018. And this was not. Um, so, mm. but it was just a beautifully, beautifully shot movie. Lovely. Um, it, there was q and A Q&A after, which was great because the lead actress was there, and the composer was there, and the producers were there. So I think the, I think the music is a really great part of the story. So having the composer talk about how he arrived at some of the, the pieces that he scored was just really lovely. Um, and um, I, I love how I love listening to musicians talk about how they're seeing the movie in their mind through sound so um so that's really resonant so i would highly recommend if beale street could talk really really lo- lovely movie awesome yeah oh, that sounds great really beautiful awesome. beautiful
2: i now I'm- we need a drum roll for chris because yeah. chris has been he's been trying to make this media recommendation for two weeks oh, yes. recording yet. i can't wait
1: so I was here one day like doing some menial task, and I was like, oh, let me just put something up on YouTube. I don't care what it is. I just need something on the background to look at while I'm doing this menial task. So I'm looking on YouTube. So I was like, what's this? Something season one, episode one of a show called Cobra Kai. So I click on it. I'm like, Cobra Kai. That's like that Karate Kid thing, right? Yeah. What followed next was me uh, not showering, eating, or leaving the house until I'd watched the entire (laughs) thing. Cobra Kai is – it is another chapter of the Karate Kid saga that began for all of um, people of a certain age. It began for all of us back in 1984 with the first Karate Kid movie where um, Ralph Macchio plays this character named Daniel who faces off against um, the actor William Zabka, whose character's name is um, Johnny Lawrence. You know, Mr. Miyagi. It's that whole thing. You all know where Karate Kid is. Yep. This show, Cobra Kai, checks in with those characters 34 years later. Um, living in LA they William Zabka and Ralph Macchio reprise their roles as Danny and Johnny and it follows them that Johnny Lawrence is now a down on his luck dude who is an absolute douche and he loses his job and he's just a nightmare Uh, and meanwhile Danny has gone on to have this very successful car dealership and his ads are all over TV, and, you know, the ads are, we kick the competition! Because he's still (laughs) in that Karate Kid thing three decades (laughs) later. Um, I love this show. It is the best thing that I've seen on TV in a very long time. And that's because the writing in it of these characters was done so well. And I won't give anything away, but where it starts isn't where it ends, and it's a real journey for everyone involved. Like, they really really thought about who the characters were. What's more is that if you are of a certain age, uh, the nostalgia is a really big part of it because I feel invested uh, in their conflict because I experienced it as a young person and I was really invested at the time. So having it flash, flash forward, not flash forward, it has been that long, but revisiting those characters and seeing what is going on with them now Felt really good. And all I have to say is that like all these reboots that are happening on TV, like pay attention, Hollywood, this is how you reboot something is that you really respect the source material. You work with the people who um, made the show popular in the first place, and you don't retcon anything. It, it worked really, really well. I, it, I really recommend this, especially if you remember the original movie. If you've seen the original movie, you can't help but like this it's just very well done. If you've never seen the original movie, I've given you enough of a summary that you will enjoy it. I, I really recommend this strongly. No. Now, the caveat. This is on something called YouTube Red, which the first two episodes are free on YouTube and then you have to pay to see the remaining eight episodes, which is such a shame because if Netflix had this or Hulu had it, then so many more people would view this. Yeah. yeah it's such such a shame how much um, do you pay how much did i pay, um, <laughs> I, um, you, pay no, just I, you know there you are are I corners. Trust? there's corners on the internet where you can get whatever you want <laughs> and i frequent those corners <laughs> um, so did i pay um so anyway uh be yeah. any cobra kai any which way that you can you don't want YouTube Red. I totally get it. But, it, I mean, you, you'd pay $20 to see a movie. This is so worth it.
0: So is that, that's the only way you can see it is on YouTube Red?
1: I'm afraid. So unless you frequent those corners of the internet yes. or, you know, shoot me an email. Maybe I'll... <laughs> <That> okay. <sounds laughs> yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> pay for it. Pay for it. They just wrapped season two. I cannot freaking wait.
2: So it shows up in my YouTube feed all the time. And I just... I kind of watched the trailer and I'm like, eh, I've read – you were the first person I've heard say anything about it. Like if I had heard anything like that, I may have been more intrigued. But like I have not seen or read or heard anything about it. So it's so interesting now for you to
1: endorse it so highly. I, You know what? Nostalgia side, right? The writing is some of the best writing for characters I've ever seen. Wow. It's There is no protagonist. There is no antagonist right when we watched karate kid we we were like with we were with danny and mr miyagi right yep. in this retelling like given that they're both the main characters you have to contend with johnny's uh, version of events of that movie right so they're That's both co-protagonists and both co-antagonists mm. yeah. and i won't tell you how it ends but i'll tell you this you're not going to be certain how you want it to end by wow. the time it gets to the end I can really see viewership being split about the way that it ended, which means it was really great writing. Yeah. They didn't bring you somewhere and be like, well, you know, they're the good guys and they're the bad guys. There's a moment where Johnny has to, re- has to tell someone else about his high school experience and they use clips from the Karate Kid movie and to hear him tell how Daniel treated him. I mean, I haven't seen the movie for three decades, right? So it's like, I'm trying to remember stuff from 30 years ago too. And I was like, wait, is that quite how that happened? But then I was like, you know what? From his point of view, yeah, he was at a Halloween party, and Danny, like, dumped water on him. And then his friends had to beat the shit out of him. Like, that is what happened. It's just that the way that we experienced it in the movie, because the writing made Daniel the hero. Daniel's not the hero here. He's not the villain either. They're just people. It's great. I've gone on too long. Well... Oops. I'm so glad I got to talk about Cobra Kai because no one I know has seen it. So please go out and see it and then talk to me about it. God damn it.
0: I can't believe um, you haven't convinced anyone else to see it.
1: Well, I have to convince people to pay for YouTube Red.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Therein lies your
1: problem, dude. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, everyone. I love you both. Happy New Year.
0: Happy, Happy New, New Year. year.
1: To everyone listening, thanks. Thanks for showing up for this every other week. Good luck with everything and bye! Bye!